cliffcentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. I'm Jonathan. And I am present. Jonathan, what well, last week was a bit of a mess. Yeah, this is the show after Chelsea. We should be, this is AC. People were really, after Chelsea. People were really, I think people were quite mean about her. Well, you know, I, I think she had a lot of terrible views points and points and um, awful battle to back them up a lot. Uh, and some of the stuff she said. Uh, probably wasn't helpful to her cause. For example, you know, I had a Che Guevara poster um, as her, her her sort of background into communism and uh, the lovely world of raping women and, and shooting them point blank range. Uh, yeah, Che did do that. Yeah, yeah. Great guy. Right, great, great yeah, guy. yeah, absolutely. And he was a horrible, a horrible racist too, but oh, he was a communist, so... Yeah, well, well he, he, the, and then of course, you know, he he meant well. You know, if you mean well, Ramon, if, ultimately that's it, what matters. It doesn't matter about the casualties on the way. No, um, so yes, I think people reacted to that. Um, what I think is important is we still had a conversation with someone we completely disagree with. She is totally opposite to us, almost in every view. Uh, she pointed out the only thing we agreed upon was Hillary Clinton. And I think even the reasons why we agree might be different. Um, so it's important to have those conversations. And I still think uh, kudos to her for coming onto the show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's an invitation to anyone else who disagrees with us. We're yeah. not going to eat you. Yeah. We're not that bad. And uh, we're happy to talk to absolutely anyone, to be honest. Yeah, as always. As always. But just about uh, shooting women at point blank range. Uh, all men are trash. Yeah, so that trended yesterday after like this horrific crime that happened where uh, a woman was, was murdered and, and burnt after the fact by her, her boyfriend. And now it's trending that all men are trash. So apparently all men are responsible for what happened to her, which is a bit weird. Cause I thought, you know, collectivism was grand like in the 20th century, but I thought we progressed since then. Well, apparently we haven't progressed. We've progressed to the point where We've decided who the victim groups are, so you can't say all whatever about them, but you can about other groups. Right. And as I said yesterday on was it on Twitter, everyone's invoking Mabel Janssen reasoning all of a sudden without even realizing it. Yeah, bad when she says it, good when I say it, because my ideology fits. Right. Because it, it, it depends who says it, not what is being said. Don't you know that, Jonathan? Oppression Olympics for the win. Right. Our guest for the week. Right. So our guest for the week is uh, Sindile Vabaza, who I have no idea who he is. I've just followed him on Facebook. We've been Facebook friends for about, I don't know, 18 months or so. And I don't know, maybe he works for Facebook because he posts about 12 Facebook posts a day, ranging from economics. He's figured out the algorithm. Yeah, maybe. Economics, football, <laughs> uh, politics, geography, like everything. It reminds me a bit of Donald Trump, but in a good way. Because what Donald Trump sees something on Fox News and he tweets about it, right? See, <laughs> so the same thing. Like, a, an idea comes to his head and he, like, just has to put a Facebook post he's, about he's, it. Well, his last one was great. What you, right, what, what so we're going to start off with this uh, men are trash thing. So, Cindy writes, yesterday, in fact, while we're on the subject, black dudes on my Facebook. Since I've openly said I do not subscribe to identity politics or cultural Marxism, 
Why are you getting all salty? You club white people over the head with their privilege and tell them not to be so insensitive to the systemic issues around race. So why so insensitive when women bash you over the head with your trashiness? White people are systematic, systematically privileged and men are systematically trashy. You can't hate all lives matter then start telling us that not all men are trash. Very well, sir. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. No, the pleasure's all mine. So, I mean, I mean, are all men trash at the end of the day? No, they aren't. Um, I understand where it's coming from um, because I read all the tweets yesterday from women telling us about their experiences. The truth for me is this whole thing shouldn't really be taken to the point where it is, where a lot of the guys on my Facebook were like, oh no, we're not trash, this is divisive. And I'm like, for God's sakes, guys, it's just a hashtag. Like, guys were pretending like this was just destroying them psychologically. And I'm like, no, guys. Yeah, it's not true. I'm not trash. I'm not offended by it. I don't actually care. The bottom line is we have to get to the point of why this happened. Because there's a lot of reasons in society why this sort of thing happens. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. There are reasons why women are safer in some parts of the world and women are not safer in other parts of the world. There's reasons why women are not worrying in some parts of the world that their children are going to get raped by someone or dismembered. And there's reasons why here in South Africa that happens. There's reasons why you have this whole concoction of poverty and disenfranchisement and machismo and you've got an unemployment rate that's basically continually recession level. And then you're confused about why you have angry young men who want to bash women. Yeah. I mean, that, that for me is what we need to get at. We need to talk about. Because my theory behind this whole thing is that we have to boil this down to the macro. And the macro is that we have a terrible economy, we have a terrible government, and we have a terrible social situation – And all the social ills come out of that. So if people want to hashtag and say men are trash, whatever. But as long as it doesn't get in the way of us talking about the important issues. That's my whole thing about this. Right. I mean, it reminds me a bit of um, a a guy called Camille Foster, who who hosts a podcast called The Fifth Column, a a, a fantastic American political podcast. Mm. Black chap, uh, anarchist, as far as I'm aware, and he hates Black Lives Matter for this reason. Mm. He says, it's impossible to know what a cop thinks when he shoots a guy, especially a black guy. True. You you can't go inside his head and say, was it racist in intention? Mm. We have to look at the other issues that causes this to happen. Mm. The drug laws, mm. uh, uh, marginalization of, mm. of, of black communities, the mm. imprisonment rate, uh, the uh, children being born out of wedlock, mm. the power of the state in general. Mm. Those are the issues. But Black yeah. Lives Matter, his argument, makes it all about cops are racist, so we must mm. deal with racism. But it does not understand or does not want to talk about the, the much broader social issues that at mm. play here. And mm. you sort of making the same argument, it appears. It is, because for me, and I've said this before to people, and I've said my main concern is not whether, for example, white people are racist. To me, that's neither here nor there. My biggest concern is the inequality, which is very racialized in South Africa. My biggest concern is how do you get more black people upwardly mobile in this country? Because that for me is the real issue. That's where 
things get very difficult because, for example, and I was saying this earlier to Roman as we were talking, um, you as a black person could be racist towards a white person. If you're a poor black person and you try to be racist to your boss, your, your O-boss, it's not really going to have an effect on your O-boss because you don't have any real power. You're still a racist. The intention is still there, but it's not going to have any real effect. If your O-boss is a racist and he employs 50 people and he can use his racism to really wreck their lives, then that's a problem. So, for example, if somebody is racist towards me, I'm not poor. If, if a white person comes up to me and says, oh, you're racist to me, mm. I can just tell them to sod off. Mm. Because what exactly are they going to do to me? Mm. If I go to a restaurant here in Johannesburg and a white person is racist to me, I can talk back to them. What are they going to do? Mm. Uh, we might get into a fisticuff, which will happen, but what real power do they have over me? And that has a lot to do with the economics. And that, for me, is the biggest issue. That's why I always say to people, Joburg is 20 to 25 years ahead of the rest of this country on race. And the fundamental reason why is that you have far more upwardly mobile black people it, it affects the whole of society i mean my, from my view that's why i think one of the reasons why the anc was voted out of power in johannesburg and in twane because middle class black people and i've got anc friends who told me this got very tired of the anc they were like no no hold on you guys are messing up my pension you're messing up my incomes because our incomes are stagnating. So we have a problem with that. We're either going to stay home and not vote or we're just going to vote for someone else. And that's what happens. In other provinces, that decisively did not happen. Apart from the Western Cape, it didn't decisively happen because people just aren't in that position to make those decisions, if that makes sense to people. Yeah. Well, it does, it does make sense. I, I'm interested, mm. though, we, obviously we've got a history that, that mm. um, creates the sort of inequality mm. you speak of. Mm. I'm, I think we have, if we have to talk about inequality, I think we have too much of it in South Africa, but mm. I don't, I'm not a believer in, in, in inequality as, mm. an, as an end point. So um, mm. I don't want a society where everyone has the same. Um, or everyone is, I mm. think equal opportunity is fine, mm. um, but mm -hmm. that's as far as I would go. And even mm. equal opportunity becomes a problem to enforce. Um, it's, mm. it, well, a problem to get to unless you enforce it. And that, once again, becomes a government role, and that is difficult to, mm. to navigate around. Mm. Uh, we may be ahead in, in, in these race things. What do you think, you know, look towards t 10, 20, 30 years down mm. the line, mm. um, where the white population is insignificant, um, where it, you literally might not see a white person in many mm. towns and cities mm. across the country. Okay. Um, so assume the race, uh, you can't blame race anymore, or you can blame the past of race, I suppose, mm. Um, mm. You know, as, as the ANC, for example, has liked to do in the past sort of mm. five to ten years. It's very years. strategic. Yeah, of course it's strategic. Mm. Mm. Um, and they've run good campaigns in that sense. Mm. But... Assume you take the race out of it, mm. then then what? Okay, let me let me backtrack a bit so I can explain this point for me. Um, what I like to do is I ask people because people always like to say that whole thing of of white people and white monopoly capital, and I ask them to look at our neighbours, and I ask them what do you want? 
what did you expect Nelson Mandela and everyone else to do with white people? Mozambique kicked white people out. Mozambique's not better than us. They still had a civil war. That's not the fundamental problem. Zimbabwe, Mugabe's goons went on torturing, murdering, killing white people, targeting farmers in Zimbabwe. Well, they got rid of, they didn't get rid of white people, but they, yeah. they did get rid of what they would terrorized be referred them. to as white monopoly capital. So anyone who was white and wealthy either yeah. left the country in a very short space yeah. of time as a result of that. They terrorized them. Or the farmers Yes, they terrorized them. But look at Zimbabwe today. Still, people are still poor. People are still struggling. There's still lots of corruption. For me, that isn't the fundamental problem. The mm. problem, as I keep saying to people, is how do we get more black people upwardly mobile? Okay, so tell us how. You're, in your, you're not <laughs> yeah, an economist, no, right? No, 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 so, no. So, but I read. So in your, but in, your, in, your, in, in your my view, in my view, there's there's a whole bunch of interrelated issues that we have to get right. One of them is how we stimulate children from early childhood development. There's studies done in America where they compare the brains of African-American children who've grown up with upwardly mobile parents and those who've grown up with poor parents. And the children who've grown up with good parents who've gotten the stimulation, their brains are actually bigger. They've been stimulated. Their nutrition is good. And that in and of itself is one of the big determinants of later success in life. That needs to be a thing. That that can be cut up two ways. Either you, you somehow find a way to empower parents to do that, or the state does that. There's two ways to cut it. Obviously, there's cost implications for either. Then you need to fix basic education because children are going still going to mud schools in the Eastern Cape. People make it sound like it's, it's, it's some sort of like conspiracy against black people. Black children in this country are not getting the right education in a lot of instances because schools don't function properly. How are you supposed to succeed in life? We have to fix that. It's one of the issues. We have to fix communities. One of the things I have an issue with as a black person, with other black people, is this snobbery towards the trades because not everybody can go to university. And there's this snobbery, oh, no, my child needs to be a doctor. And it's it's... It's one of the leftover effects from apartheid where uh, a lot of black parents felt like they were denied opportunities. So they try and force their children into stuff they really can't do. It's like a massive problem. Mm. And so we need to fix those things. You need to fix the health care. Children can't do anything if they're consistently sick. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you, yeah. Those, those are all social issues that need to come together in order to produce the kind of people that are going to get into higher employment, gainful employment, that are going to create the opportunities for this country to become wealthier. Because white people can't do it by themselves. Because if you're a white child, in general, not all white people, but in general, you will have parents, you will be able to get early childhood development, you will be able to go to a decent school and have an opportunity to advance in life. That is what I want, and which is why I think governance in this country in terms of how services are delivered and how institutions are run and of course sound policy because we need the private sector to fund that you can't go and gag the private sector because a lot of them fund it you can't gag people that create employment who are going to employ people who pay the income tax somehow you need to find a balance 
with those things. And for me, that that for me are the, those for me are the fundamental issues we need to deal with in terms of getting people employed. And I mean, I understand, for example, why students would want free university. However, and we can switch we can switch back on subjects because I really want to get this oh, off my chest. This yeah. is this is an open podcast. Oh, you go oh, through whichever tangents oh, you wish, okay. please. Because one of the things I say to people is that. Students, if you picture South Africans as people in a line waiting for something, you know, you have poor people, you have grant recipients. Students should not be at the front of the line. We've got bigger problems. Mm. I would understand if people would say, let's subsidize skills that are badly needed in this country at university, your STEM fields. You know what I mean? That can make sense. But to do it for everybody when we haven't even fixed basic education it doesn't actually solve the actual problem because one of the biggest growth, growths, uh, that's not even a proper word, in inequality is amongst black people in this country because lots of black people since, the, since 1994 have gotten into the middle class. It's separated black people a lot in this country. Most people don't know that, which is why here in Joburg you have black people going to polo matches. <laughs> Cultural appropriation. Hashtag. <laughs> All right, but I love cultural, cultural appropriation. But sorry, <laughs> may I interject? Yeah, go quickly. For it. But I mean, Cindy, I hear what you're saying, mm. and with due respect from my part, it's mm. it's 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 very commonsensical. Mm. It makes sense to me. Mm. But it's not. It's not. It can be applied to any any country in the world. Yes, who wants to do better? Yes. Uh, so, why are with respect, your brethren or your counterparts, or people, or black other black people and white people, I'm not mm. going to let me not leave them out. Mm. Are like against this notion that the state needs to work properly, so that we can all, you know, derive benefit from it. So like, there's always scapegoating of someone or the other. If if you're a rich mm. white person, it's you know the blacks are going to come get us or whatever. Mm. And like this Henry Van Bredar guy axed his family mm. and this Allegedly. estate. He blames a black robber. I mean, come on. He's a guy fucking tripping. No. But it's, um, I mean, he said it's a black robber, not mm. just a robber, mm. a black robber. So mm. scapegoating works on both sides. Yeah. yeah. Why can't we all just see like, the honest truth that a capable state makes a capable population? I think we underestimate the effect of identity politics in this country <laughs> because I think it affects us from seeing things accurately because I think we all need some kind of perspective to frame our ideas and frame the world. And so for a lot of people in this country, um, what's become popular is, you know, your, your, your racial identity politics. And so my, my view, actually, my opinion is that a lot of black people want the state to work. The biggest problem is that they care a lot more about the racism they see. That's that's where I've seen the view. So, for example, if you if you watch the whole thing about maybe a penny sparrow, yes. why there was such a an overflow of response to this dreadful woman, but otherwise she's just some random person, is because people are like, "Whoa, I remember when I was a kid, and this person did this to me." And we must also remember, though, the majority of the voting public went through apartheid. Yeah. Those people are not going to let go of the things that happen to them very easily. It's the same thing with older white people, why I'm actually pretty forgiving of older white people, because it's hard to let go of those things. 
I talk to my mom, my aunts. I've got an uncle who got peed on by old boss during apartheid. He is one of those people who's like, don't even bring a white person near me. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's awkward because my brother used to have a white girlfriend. <laughs> but yeah. those things happen. Sure. You know what? And, and sometimes you get older white people whose entire mindset has been trained on, you know, this person is supposed to be here. You're my garden boy. That's hard to let go of. I think we need to be understanding of how human nature works. However, and this is my big thing, we always, as far as we can, we always need to push for a clarity on the issues. We need to ask good questions of people. We need to get people to focus on essential issues. It's like the thing I say with the land issue. The land issue, people don't care about land. People who get land either lease it off to an Afrikaans farmer off for the cheap, they leave it in disrepute, or they take the money payout with the ANC's policy yeah. because they don't care. They want to go to cities, they want to have some fun because rural areas are dreary and they suck. And so the land issue is just really a proxy for other more essential issues. Like, I'm a black person sitting here. How do I get on the first rung of the ladder to get a better life? How do I provide for my family? How do I ensure a better future for my children. These are all universal issues. People just focus on the externalities too much. And that's where even politicians make the mistake is because they listen to the loudest voices. Poor, poor and working class black people want to get ahead. They want to ensure that their children get a better future. They want to make sure that things work in this country. But because of all the politics and the racial politics and the identity politics, it gets lost in the static. I study communications. It all gets lost in the static and you don't really get at what people want. And what people want is a society in which they can see themselves getting ahead. And if not, because it's difficult to change countries and economies, their children would get a better future. They need to see politicians showing them something. Politicians need to do something to show, okay, we're, this is our vision, we're on this path, we're steering this country towards that path, and people need to see that. And for me, as far as, as, as you can see all these people with red berets and whatever, that's not a popular stance in this country. I think so. I don't think people really believe all that stuff that's being said by Julius they, and co. They don't. Only 6% of them do. Yes. I agree. And because, because, and it's not, and, and one of my EFA friends said, no, no, it's because they're loyal to the NC. No, it's not. It's because people don't believe that garbage. People have this assumption that poor people are stupid. They're not. No. Poor people are street smart. They're not educated, but they're definitely street smart and they don't believe that garbage. Poor people, all the people that are going, we want our land back and they're putting these cute memes, those are middle class Twitterati types. Poor people want their children educated, they want to be healthy, and they want a country that works. And they want a country in which people are not telling them they're baboons or whatever and pissing on them, basically. All right, so I agree very, with all very of those reasonable, things. Yeah. I think, claims to make. So, Fair enough. Mm. Now, so those are all claims mm. to make. You, you know, you, if you look at the ANC, for example, mm. they have for 20 odd years turned mm. around and said, we want to provide good basic education. They've mm. said that they want to mm. do that. Mm. They've said that they want to ensure that everyone has access to, um, mm. some sort of health care. Uh, mm -hmm. it's a bit, uh, all the parties have a bit of a dodgy health, uh, 
approach. Mm. But they've, essentially, all those things you've mentioned, mm. the ANC says they want to do, mm. the DA says they want to do, mm. and you know, smaller parties like mm. the EFF. Mm. Uh, and I think that's how we need to start referring to the EFF as a side point. Okay. Because one of the problems uh, with the EFF is that relative to the size of who they are and what they represent, mm. um, they are tiny, but they get a massive proportion of media coverage. Mm. Uh, and I do wonder if Julius decided to retire and uh, move off to, you know, a home in the south of France or something. Mm. Uh, I do wonder how much we would actually see of the EFF in the newspapers because I just think he's quite charismatic and the journalists Indeed. tend to love him. Um, but on that point, everyone offers uh, everyone mm. offers all these things. Yeah. The difference is how we get there. I agree. Right. So, agree. so you know, every government is going to come in promising people th- – these things. Yeah. Um, the further the government is to the left, the more they say, well, we're going to give you these things mm. by us being in control mm-hmm. uh, of all of these things and mm. then offering them to you. Yeah. Uh, the further they are to the right, they mm. would say, you're going to get these things by mm. basically, we're going to open up the market mm. and not tamper with anything. We're going to mm. deregulate and walk away mm. and you're going to get them by having freedom to create them for yourself. Mm-hmm. So those are the two sides. So yeah. where do you stand on how we get there? I'm more to the center, if I can put it that way. Um, I think you shouldn't. I don't believe in the whole concept of government having control of the commanding heights of the economy. It just, the argument doesn't make sense to me because I think um, economies like that tend to eat themselves because the government takes a bigger and bigger and bigger portion mm-hmm. and it just starts to eat itself because there's, from where I sit, I think you have to have a balance in who actually generates income because government has to decide. Are you fundamentally about do you get income in terms of and then provide basic social services mm-hmm. or are you the service provider? And governments are always more inefficient than private sector companies. Mm. That's just a fact. Mm-hmm. So for me, and there's also the fact of, of real corruption in the government. For example, the whole thing with the land issue and the expropriation without compensation. For that to happen, you have to basically destroy Secure property rights. That for me rings an alarm bell because what it said, what I ask myself is if a government does that, can they not subvert the political system if they have control over everything in the economy in order to get votes, in order to sway people? Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that for me is scary. That for me is, is absolute unfreedom. That frightens me. Hmm. What is government? And secondly, even in, even if you can find countries that have done that, like with Norway and, and their oil, th- there's no um, track record for us in South Africa to establish and say that would work. You just look at the running of our parastatals. It's dreadful. What makes us think that it, the EFF or the ANC is going to be good at running those sorts of things? Well, nothing. And even if there was no corruption, just, yeah. you know, I, I, let's use edu- something less controversial than, yeah. than land. If you look at education, for yeah. example, um, even if the government said, okay, well, there are, let's use small numbers, there mm. are a million children we need mm. to um, educate. It costs one rand to educate children, uh, each child. Therefore, we need to take a million rand from taxpayers mm. and 
give it to that. Mm. Um, even and there was no corruption, and it, or every single cent of that one million rand went to those one million children mm. for the purposes of education. Mm-hmm. The problem with governments is governments then have these wonderful things that rest on them called unions yeah. um, that they, in our country, care a lot about. Okay. Mm. Uh, it's the lesson we ultimately are going to end up having to either destroy the country, in my opinion, mm-hmm. or learn the lesson that Margaret Thatcher learned um, mm-hmm. or taught everyone, uh, which is that you need to break the unions. The problem with us is you give that money all to the kids. There's no corruption whatsoever. At the mm-hmm. end of the day, you still have external factors influencing that entire process at a government level. True. You have a lot less of that influence in something like the the free market okay. in a business. Uh, in, in, and look, I mean, we've got regulations that also then interfere. So, uh, it's a, a teacher that doesn't come to work for a whole term, mm. uh, can't really be fired. It's actually very difficult to do that. Yeah. If you look at economies like the United States, which has unemployment of 4.4%, okay, mm. we can talk about the education. It's not the best in the world, but it's certainly better than ours. Yeah. Um, they uh, they they are able to hire someone on one day and fire them literally the next day with really little cause. Um, mm. So we those are all the problems I see when the government controls things. They end okay. up having to deal with all of those those problems, and that's why I, you know, tend to lean slightly right of center on 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 most of my economics. I mean, I'd probably okay. be, be on the right if I if I said I don't believe in income tax at all. Okay, um, I'm not there at all. Um, Ramon probably is there. Yeah, but both of you are just damn socialists anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who believes in taxation is a socialist, in my opinion. Yeah, okay. Taxation is theft, hashtag. But it is. <laughs> yeah. It is. Ah, but I, to I, answer, but to answer, to answer Jonathan's point, um, if you're going to have government, that level of government interference, and you have to look at some of the countries that are social democratic, you have to find trade-offs. So, for example, in your Scandinavian countries, ease of hiring and firing is offset by their social welfare. But in order to get there, you need very, very high taxes. But in order to have that, you need people willing to pay very, very high taxes. They are culturally because they've got a lot of social capital in those countries. In the United States, that sort of situation would not work. Because the the United States is just too fractured. There's too much diversity. There was an argument. Uh, I'm trying to remember the book about diverse societies tend to work better on free market principles. They tend to work better because there's too many too many interests that you have to placate. Mm-hmm. Um, societies with more homogeneity can work more successfully. They can with sort of high taxes and a large social welfare system. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why uh, there's a huge rise of the right in countries like Scandinavia and Sweden, the rise of the right, because you have all these immigrants in this unchecked immigration and they don't share the cultural values of the people there. And people are like, whoa, these people are actually kind of like getting in our space and they don't want to toe the line. And so that's breaking it apart. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I would agree with you too, but also it's also a question of state failure. uh, Because if you have immigration and a welfare state, Mm. the biggest, for me, what Mm. really changed my views a lot was actually going to work and working with people for 10 hours a day. Mm. People that were vastly, you know, different to to me Mm. in every single way, in terms Mm. of ideology, race, Mm. nationality, whatever. Mm. If you're an immigrant going to Sweden and you're given... uh, 
housing and and a stipend every month. Yeah. There is no incentive for you to go and find work to actually to integrate. It, yeah, it's, it's also so it's it's both sides. I mean, it, it, yeah. there's no, a lot I of agree. things about anti-immigration which I'm not at all. Mm. We must also look at if the state. See, I am. <laughs> I know you are, but you. I don't know you. <laughs> So, so I, I'm weird for saying taxation is theft, but you're I never not. I said you're weird for that. I understand the concept. <laughs> right, but I mean, immigration's are, like oh. in this country too, right? Mm. The biggest free marketers in this country are bloody African immigrants. Yes, okay. I agree. Yeah. So I, I just want to mm. sort of get onto your point with regards to because. The Nordic countries, uh, yeah. which people love to use, and I, I don't believe in some, something called the social democracy. I don't think it exists. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, and the the reason why those countries, firstly, they're not socialist in in the sense, in the true sense of no, socialism. No, they're not. They're not. Of okay? course not. But um, it, it's also to understand the way they get. So what they get to where they are. So mm-hmm. firstly, they're not actually welfare states. Okay. So um, w- the assumption with regards to welfare is you have people. Who are needy, and then the government provides for the needy people. Okay, oh, what okay. what Sweden and Norway and all these countries mm. do is they have a already well-off entire populace, which is homogenous in yes. that way, yes. and then they basically, without doing it directly, but it's almost a condoned social contract. They go, all right, yeah. well, you were you're all kind of everyone's happy, everyone's rich, mm. uh, relatively speaking, mm. and. I tell you what, the government works properly. So here you go. We're going to tax you like mm. this, and you're going to, in return for your taxes, you don't have to worry about all that other stuff. And it, and it works that way. But the the way they get to being to that point where they mm. have this massive middle class, basically no lower class, mm. um, and a, a small upper class, mm. um, the way they get there is originally by opening it up as a complete free market. That's the history and the background of those countries. They didn't start off with tax rates of, you know, 60 to 70% no, and, and this, uh, these amazing countries. In fact, uh, places like Sweden were, were not nice places to be uh, 150, 200 years ago. Well, there was a massive famine um, that killed uh, a few hundred thousand people yeah. 100 years yeah. ago. No, so I, so I think, I think the, the issue we have is that people will look at, say, Norway today mm, mm. and they will go, okay, Let's do exactly what Norway does. We'll do that in South Africa and mm. that will, we will be fine. Mm-mm. What Norway did was they first got to a certain point yes. where that was possible. Yes. And then they did that. Um, so they didn't go, well, we have a lower class of, well, we, let's call it a completely poor class of 11% mm. of the country. That's based mm. on uh, Moletti and Becky's stats. Mm-hmm. Um, 11% of the country who are Poor, mm. poor, poor. Can't, yeah. can't afford to buy food every day. Yeah. Um, and uh, above that, we have another about twenty percent who mm. are really sort of quite poor, lower mm. LSMs. Mm. And then we start getting into the lower middle class, then the mm. middle class, and then the upper class. Yeah. Um, what they do is they say, well, let's just take that whole group of people, and then we'll institute these policies. And it, it, that's the problem I have. It won't work. Okay. Um, and I think that. People want to do stuff like that. We want to become Norway. You kind of need to get to uh, a certain e- point, e- so-called equality levels, before you institute those kinds of policies. I actually, I agree with you because it's something I say on Facebook a lot to my friends on the left, and I say South Africa can't successfully transition to a social democracy, even if you want one, because 
even with all those economic factors at play, there's still social factors at play as well. Those people are homogenous. They share broad values. Um, Jeez, uh, there's a word I was trying to think of that they have in that in those cultures about uniformity in Denmark. You know, you, mm. there's a certain kind of uniformity in those societies. And so homogeneity lends itself to that. Because one of the things is here in South Africa, and I say this to my friends on the left, is that economic and social policies cannot be divorced in a country that's developing. Because ultimately, you have to get to the point where you're getting more and more people. You have to transition the economy. I mean, economies transition from low-income economies we're in middle income space towards high earners. There's, there's steps you take mm-hmm. to transition that. I mean, if we in this country, for example, even if we open up things to the market, you still need certain social policies. Because if a child is born in the middle of a slum somewhere in Nyanga, you basically have next to nothing of a chance of getting anywhere. Because even if you want to go to school, even if you work hard, unless you are extremely bright and extremely resourceful, you've basically got no chance. If you're a kid in the, in the Eastern Cape and you have to cross rivers to get to school, you have to like dodge in crocodiles, you basically have no chance. I, Jonathan, actually agree with opening up things to the market. But what I believe is that you need to balance that with sensible social policy. Because we need to give people opportunities. to That's what I mean by opportunities, to get somewhere. So you need to be able to have a good education. It, it always has to be up to you. We must never take away human agency and human choice. But the, the big thing for us and the big challenge is to ensure that more and more children and more and more people have opportunities to get mm. somewhere. to Because it's good for the country. Absolutely. So that, that, that for me is the argument, and that's why I'm, I keep saying to people, that's my big issue. Because the majority of people who don't have that are black people. For me, it's not – the racism issue is a side issue because people will always be bigoted wherever you go. Yeah. That, do you know what I mean? Sure. So, well, absolutely. You're going to find that across the world. Exactly. It doesn't – the issue is – is to get people opportunities so that you don't have a society in which being white almost means that you're going to get somewhere in life and being black means you won't. That's my issue. And my issue is that we have to take commonsensical policies to get there. We need to have sound economic policy, which is why I absolutely hate the idea of command economies. I want, as you say, they got to that point by opening it up to the market. I'm with you there. So are you arguing, I think, yeah. I think you're arguing, uh, same as I do in mm. some ways, actually, why not give people freedom for the first time ever in their lives? Freedom in what sense? In, 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 in every sense. Economic freedom. Yeah. Uh, not, not, so basically the state, because the problem with Eastern Cape and places mm. like that, the state controls everything there. Mm. Public schools are state controlled mm. uh, the roads state controlled mm. um, town planning state controlled mm. all these things uh, clinics healthcare state mm. controlled there's very little uh, actual and and let us be honest a lot mm. of the eastern cave is tribal land mm. right where private sector can't go in there and build a clinic or a private school or 
roads or a shopping centre or whatever the case might be. Maybe that happens in some instances, but not. I'm not from the Eastern Cape, trust right. me. It's a problem. Right. I was born there, People, so it's a problem. So the freedom to actually have property rights would be a, a fantastic start. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So um, unfortunately, it's owned by the tribal lands are, are run by, by, by chiefs, as far as I'm aware. And people living on it don't mm-hmm. actually have the rights to that land in the first place. Um, and is that the crux of the problem? Can, can of worms. We no, no, no. It's not. It's just I. I am not a fan of the divine right of kings. I do not like chiefs at all, and it gets me in a lot of trouble. You're in a safe space. Yeah. <laughs> you can say that here with pleasure. Oh, I, I, I don't like chiefs at all because I, I hate that whole thing of having some sort of authoritarian figure. Telling everybody what they can And I hate those kind of systems Those top down systems Too much of that Oh, and, and the thing is And the thing is Partly also it has to do with politics One of the reasons the ANC Does well Is they've got a rural areas On lockdown well, they, um, They've bribed They bribed the, the local leaders throughout. Yeah, the but I mean there's a reason why Zuelatini gets paid CEO money out of the public purse. Well, of course. And that's to ensure votes within KZN. In the urban areas, which I find encouraging, just by the way, is that more and more urban people are giving the ANC the middle <coughs> finger, which makes me delighted as an unashamed DA man. Right. Absolutely delighted. And, and one of the reasons, and I, I said this to you, I believe that we are in the pound seat in 2024 to win the elections is because we control the cities. I would think 2019, to be honest, but, uh, I don't know we'll if see. we're going to win in 2019. I think the ANC is going to drop below 50%. Dream. It's 2029. It depends. You think 2029? Uh, and and I, I have said 2029 since about 2009. I, I've said, I've said, tw- I said 2029 back in 2014. But subsequent events, the ANC is immolating itself very, very quickly. And a lot of the tide is turning. And I think, because I, I have a friend who works in Alex. And one of the things that really, really people loved about Herman Mashaba was giving, was the giving of the title deeds. Yeah. People, people were sick and tired of not being sure of that sort of thing. And I, I mean, I had, I, I told Roman about it. I had this t- whole meeting with Musi Maimane and we talked about it. And I was like, you need to batten down the hatches on that. The DA's biggest job is to perform in the cities because by 2030, 70% of this country is going to live in cities. It is absolutely key that we get our cities right mm. and that the DA drives home its advantage. So. Uh, Sorry, yes. Yeah, sorry, it. if I may. Th- mm. There's two aspects to the title mm. deeds thing that mm. I like. Mm. Well, firstly, it gives you property rights. So yes. you, you can you can mm. give someone who mm. has 10,000 rand net worth mm. and make it 300,000 rand just mm. like that, just by giving them a title deed mm. to the property. Mm. And number two, the more people actually own land, mm. the less of a problem the EFF will be in the, in the future. Because first of all, land is not an issue. But if people actually own land, and mm. then Julius bloviates about the state will, you know, bequeath land to everyone, mm. just give it to us first. You destroy their base because mm. people actually have something now to yeah. lose. They have to something lose. to lose. Yes. So the yes. must carry on doing so for political and economic reasons. No, no. I told him. I said to him, "Listen, you keep telling Herman to do what he does. 
I'm all down with that. Even though, even though you called him the black Donald Trump, which I don't know if that's an insult anymore. Okay, he's a less <laughs> of he's less of a flip flopper than than Donald Trump. Oh, I, when I watched him in the lead up, he was dreadful. Oh, he was absolutely dreadful when he debated Parks Tao. Oh, I was like, dude, the what are you doing? The man's not a politician. He's not. That's you why were, he's sort of good. I've come around. No, listen, I've I've come around on him. I think he's doing good stuff. See, I've like, fallen off a bit on him. To be I, honest, I've come around a bit. I think, oh, jeez. I mean, I mean, let's be honest here, Jonathan. The thing is, what South Africa is, is that we have to get to a certain place economically before um, we, re- before ideas on the right will really have a play in the political sphere. That's mm. what I think, because I think there's. Too many social problems right now, and people are too concerned with basic things yeah. that when you say to them, you need to open it up more to the markets, people can often twist that and say, oh, you want to help white monopoly capital. And you, you can't really have a nuanced discussion. This is why 2029 is so important. In 2029, the white people are 1% of the population. You can try to blame 1% all you like. It's a failing argument at 4%. It's going to be an even worse argument at 1%. It, it doesn't mean it won't work. Um, it, it doesn't. Uh, yeah, I think. I think like, who gives a shit about actual facts, Jonathan? Yeah, dude. Facts, yeah. facts don't always work. But my thing is this. Um, I'm. I ah jeez I wrote about this as well on Facebook and I was Facebook I, your Facebook seems like the place to be I ah dude I just <laughs> I just whatever comes into my mind I'm on the go this is why I still have my BlackBerry so it's I can Donald type. Trump dude you do, Donald you Trump have a BlackBerry I still have a BlackBerry it's my thing I hate smartphones uh, but I have one just because I can have WhatsApp but I I I don't. It bothers me that a lot of white middle-aged men are leaving. It does. For, for tax purposes. I'm going to say this. It's a selfish reason. I've got white middle-class, white middle-aged men who are friends, who are rich. I like them. They're cool people. They give me free Wi-Fi, free food. I go eat at their houses. <laughs> However, I, I, it, I, it's selfish reasons for tax reasons. I mean, as you know, with junk status, our inflation is going up. It costs, it costs us more money to borrow. It costs more money for us to pay our debt, our soaring public debt. We have 17 million people on social grants. And because of inflation and all these other factors eating into that buying power, it's not, it's not a far-fetched thing to say that people are going to demand more money because they need to eat. I mean, a social, what is a social grant? 600 rand? Uh, it depends on yeah, the social grant. It depends on, it depends on the social uh, child grant. Child grants around 350, uh, and uh, pension grants are around 1200. Do, do you um, know what I mean? It's, 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 stu- it's, it's, it's stupid tiny. small money, actually. It's tiny, but it keeps people from absolute starvation. Yeah. And you can see with less buying power, people are going to demand more money. You need more money to fund that. You're chasing away people paying a disproportionate amount of that tax. So I don't think it's selfish. I think it's completely logical. It's, it's, uh, I also will point out, though, mm. that the 
you know, once again, on, 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 on those mm. Maletzi and Becky figures, the mm. black middle class is now larger than the white middle class. There's still yeah. a large mm. number of white people who are middle class, mm. but that number is now in, a, in, a, in an actual number form is exceeded by, by black people. No, I agree. Um, and let me tell you that uh, those black people will leave as well. No, uh, they will. Skilled the, the, black people the, are already leaving. The, yeah, the assumption that you know the the any person regardless of their race and this is why i really hate the identity politics mm. myself is because it 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 means nothing at a, at a, it stops meaning anything beyond the most superficial understanding of mm. people yeah. so um what middle class people like waking up on a saturday morning mm. getting into their nice Luxury vehicle, uh, driving to the. This is a South African middle class person. If you live in New I'm York, a family you, full you, of middle class you, people. You like uh, being on a subway train, but mm. um, you know you get into your relatively nice yeah. uh, vehicle and you mm. drive to the nice shopping centre, and mm. there are very pleasant shops there, and mm. then you buy yourself a, a nice mm. pair of designer jeans, mm. and you sit down at a decent restaurant and have some lunch with your family. That's a fair Saturday day for yeah. a, for a middle class person. Mm. The less that becomes possible, the more of those middle class people who turn around and go, hmm, I'm going to see where else this might be possible. And yeah. and yeah. that won't be based on race. That will be based on, on their class. their view of quality of life. Yes. Uh, so the reality is that, and that's my whole point, this doesn't, at the end of the day, race stops meaning something. I, I get that you guys say you can still sell it uh, as a commodity yeah. in terms of race baiting. Yeah. Sure, you can. Um, but it, it, you say you're being selfish. You don't want those people to leave. I don't think that's selfish. I just think it's complete common sense and yes. logic. Yes, but I want to add on to that, if I may, Jonathan. But that's my point, and this is why I tell people, Joburg is different to everywhere else. The over, the majority of those middle class black people exist in this city, which is why the dynamics of this city are different. That's why you don't like. I, I'll tell you as a black person, like. When you get out of, when I get outside of Johannesburg, mm. it's, it feels completely different in the rest of the country. It's not just Cape Town. I just like picking on Cape Town because it's fun. Because, <laughs> because white Cape Townians are quite sensitive. Yes, very much so. It's very fun mm. to pick on wasps and, well, and random Of course, people. what the most hilarious part of that is, is that the wokest people in the country, the wokest white people in the mm. country all live in Cape Town. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And so Except I. Except Peter. Shane Peter's still poor and lives <laughs> on the East Rand, I think. So do you know so that's why I say to people it's a completely different experience. If you ask a black person, like a lot of black people, not say a black person because everybody's different, but if you ask a lot of black people where they really like living, you'll get Johannesburg as an answer. And I think a lot of that has to do with how economics have shaped the social dynamics of the city. Because if I'm in Johannesburg and I've got friends everywhere in other parts of the city, they get, I mean, other parts of the country, they get followed around in shops or they get weird behavior at restaurants. And I'm like, jeez, I'm so happy I live in Joburg. Yeah, that shit would never go down in this, in this town. Because it doesn't happen in Joburg. And the weird thing no is. No one gives a shit. And, and yes. And the thing is, I, I, for example, if I go out and have coffee with a white female friend, people are not staring me, at me in Joburg. If I do that everywhere else, people are like doubling down like, well, what's happening here? <sighs> people don't care in Joburg because you know why? We've got other things to deal with. Like we try to make money and other stuff. So that's why I keep saying that 
the best thing to happen is upwardly mobile black people in this country because it's going to take the absolute sting out of racism, out of a lot of these other things, and then we can get to the real business of this country, which is making this country grow, making the quality of life of people get better. Come on, say it, Cindy Lee. Making this country great. great. Yes. <laughs> Don't say it again because it was never great. But making it great. Making well, it great. In 1500s, when the Khoisan were roaming around, they had a great country. We've discussed this but before. But apparently no one was here, And then, according to the textbooks I read. And then, Only Kuru. And then everyone and else cocked it up. Yeah. The, the colonialists cocked it up. Shaka Zulu cocked it up. It was just, everyone just it, messed it up. It's a mess. <laughs> and so that, that, that for me is, is my biggest thing. If, if, if I get the ear of a politician... That's what I'm whispering in their ear is stay the course on substantive issues. But now let's talk about fuck's sakes, Jonathan. Jesus. It's it's my podcast too. You can't just cut me off. You can't <laughs> no, deep platform me. You can't uh, deep platform me on my own podcast. God's yeah, sake. Yeah. Go for it. I'll call you you see me a sweat from now on. <laughs> um but here's the thing about the DA though. Mm. They falling into the social identity politics trap though. In, uh, in what, what, what sense? What give, me, give me an idea. Give me well, an idea. Penny Sparrow, the first mm. person to lay a charge, Musi, right? Okay. And then Herman, out of all out of all people, Herman lays a charge of criminal nuria against her. Um, and now, and now, Helen Zeller tweets something about colonialism, and now it's a huge issue for them. Why aren't they folk? I don't know the economic plan. Do you? And if it's, you do, it's very it, similar to the ANC. Boom! There yeah. we go. So, what the fuck's going on? Here's my thing, okay, on Penny Sparrow, and I'll give you my thing, because I grew up in Penny Sparrow country. Right. Um, Where's that? Margate. Ah. My, mom, my mom's got a house there. Okay. Yeah, terrible tenants. <laughs> Shout out to my mom. <laughs> um, but you know what? I personally, with Penny Sparrow, thought what happened to her on social media was enough. Because if you're going to sure. say crazy stuff on social media, you're going to get burnt. I thought it was going to end there. Me, I was like, ha ha. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. And I thought, okay. Sure. Free, this is what people don't understand about free speech. Free yeah. speech must be free, but it's not free of consequence. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, ha ha. My issue with Helen Zilla has nothing to do with what she tweeted. My issue is with who she is. Because because I, I, I was in Cape Town a while back. And I was sitting in, in, in those places, Kyalicha, went to Manenberg and all those areas. And the, the, the craziest thing is people still remember what she said. You know about the whole refugee statement? Right. People still remember that with a hell of a lot of saltiness. My thing is this with Helen Zilla. She must understand her position. She's a senior politician. She's part of the establishment. She needs to tone herself down because we're trying to win. But even if she's telling the truth. She can tell the truth, but she needs to find a way to tell it with some kind of intelligence. Because Helen Zilla just mouths off. Sometimes I think she doesn't think. Because, I mean, look at her whole track record. She's in twas with, like, sideline celebrities. I'm like, Jesus, you're a, you're a serious politician. Why are you having Twitter wars with dumbass celebrities who know nothing? You need to take yourself more seriously. That's why I like her, though, because she, she gives it out as yeah, well. she can dish it out, but she needs to understand you can't always be there. Sure. There are other people to say that sort of stuff, because that stuff, because one of the problems the DA has is this 
outrageous perception that they're a party for white people. It's not true. It's no. it's not well, true. It's well, factually, not factually untrue. Not this white person. Yes, I don't know. Yes, it's a, that's what people say. You it's don't a vote for anyone. No. It's a party for white people, and that's a problem going into elections because people can be manipulated emotionally during elections. Because fundamentally, what we're doing here is in the in the realm of politics, it's about the acquisition and the wielding of power. Before we can wield power, before we can do anything, we have to get it. We have to be in that position. That's why politics is messy. We need her to just tone it down a bit. I don't have a problem. A lot of what she said about Singapore, I was like, totally. She's got a point. I don't know why people are freaking out and like, oh, Singapore's got an authoritarian leader. Yeah, but they're not poor and hungry. Yeah. I mean, I'm not there with Singapore. I don't like authoritarian leaders, but it works for them. They're not poor and hungry. So that's well, my thing. Her comments were they had this history mm. and they took that history, took what mm. uh, the history had given them mm. in terms of infrastructure, mm. and they, they went forward with it. They went forward with it and mm. they said, all right, that was shit. Now we're going to take what we can that was left over from that mm. and use that to positive effect. That's what she said. Mm. All right. The, the, the hysteria then comes from, well, she's justifying colonialism. I don't see it as that. Um, mm. and but the, who gives a shit what people think? I mean, she's, she's free to tweet. I get your point that mm. what matters is winning. And yeah. if she tweets something that may be true, yeah. but it causes a scene, it is distracting people from actually winning the next election. Yes, it's distracting. And it's, and it's, it's giving a lifeline to the ANC who are already immolating themselves. When my view is, we're not yet at the point of actual breakdown. We're near there. I mean, the ANC could immolate this entire country along with themselves. I think we're very close. We are close. We're not quite there yet. One of the things I, I look forward to in 2019 is when they drop below 50%. And I hope, I hope some healthy things happen through coalition politics. But getting back to that whole point of hers... She can tweet what she wants. Like, if Helen Zilla was someone, uh, like, she wasn't in her position, I'd be like, yeah, let her say it. I'm, I'm one of those people who believes people should be able to say what they say. Steve Hoffman can say what he says. Mm-hmm. I can tell him, yeah, but you suck too. I don't like you. I can tell Sunet Bridges I don't like you. Right. But he can say what he says. Organizations can band together. Solidarity can band together and say, we're doing this for Afrikaner rights. I don't have an issue with that. People are allowed to do that in a constitutional and secular democracy. Right. And I'm allowed to say whatever I want about them as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole part of decorum is just a social thing. However, my issue with her is coming as a DA supporter. Because I'm sitting here thinking, oh, 2019 is still very, very tetchy. Because if Nkosazana wins... And she's had all these statements about somehow getting into bed with the EFF. I'm looking at property rights. I'm looking at some of the policies that could come into play. Because where we are right now, we had a mismanaged economy. We're bureaucratically, we suck. We're not growing. We have more social unrest. We need some kind of situation where the politics works in favor of more sane policies. Yeah. We need more sane rhetoric. And we're not going to have that if 
we get to the point where, for example, I don't know how it's going to work, but what I'm hoping is is that they don't get a two-thirds majority to change and amend the Constitution. Right. Because for me, that's frightening. Because that is that is that will be the knockout blow. That's the death knell. We're done for, I think, as a country, and that's what scares me. I like South Africa. Yeah, me too. I, 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 I like South Africa. I mean, and and here's the thing, and I think it's it's it also depends on perspective, because unlike a lot of black people, I grew up in uh, my family comes from the homelands. Right. So my grandfather was a lawyer back in 1957. I have that as a cover photo. There's all these white people, and then there's like him. Yeah. Uh, my father is a professional. My mother has a degree and two diplomas. Everybody in my family has a degree. My uncle's millionaire he lives in Danefirm. So my cons- sorry to hear that. Oh, terrible Danefirm. place. Terrible place. Horrible. Dreadful sorry. people. But Waspy as hell. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, yeah, I'm not a fan. I, I call it the white ghetto. <laughs> sorry, so, never there. So, so, so the thing is, I, I, I get concerned because. Right. Because a good a good deal of our family wealth is tied up in South Africa. Sure, it's not structured properly. Okay, I'm not going to say more than that. So it it frightens me a bit. It, it it freaks me out. It freaks me out because I've got a lot of family members who are not in poverty. I I feel for people in poverty, but I'm also self interested. No, oh, of course. And that family members. You're going to drag the rest of us. I know there's a lot of poor black people in this country, but don't drag me into it as well. Yeah. I don't want to be dragged into poverty All right. either. So let's assume, mm. you know, Helen Zeller carries on tweeting, um, mm. and mm. one tweet is enough to sway people from voting for the DA instead of the fact that they're poor, mm. um, which is the logic I don't get because, as you said, Poor people, all people, are not just stupid because mm. you think they are. Mm. So <clears throat> I don't think I, – I hear the refugee statement which mm. they're salty about. I think you might find some people who are just as, yes, these bloody people are coming here, and they're coming here because they've been screwed over by their government in the Eastern Cape, which is the point she was making. Yeah. But let's say she carries on tweeting. Mm. Um and let's be a bit ap- apocalyptic and say okay. that your fears come true. And I think your fears are true. They're my fears as well. Okay. Yeah. So I, um, yeah. and I, uh, have everything that I do own is, is in South Africa. Mm. I am completely South African. I have no other passports or access to any other countries. Mm. Um, and so if this country crashes and burns, I either will stay here and be burnt or mm. I will leave with nothing. Which is um, a scary thought. Yeah, and and I'll probably leave with nothing, even from a career perspective, because uh, the health department has made sure that our degrees, which were completely transferable before um, uh, uh, Manto interfered, mm. um, are now no longer completely transferable. Mm. So I will probably end up being a street sweeper somewhere in the world if I were to leave. Okay, I'll be a doctor street sweeper. So that's the reality that mm, I'm facing. Mm. And many people are in a very similar boat and they're yeah. black or, and white. Yeah. And basically, if you earn an income every month and are able to provide for your family, yes. you are in this position. Yes. So let's say um, she carries on tweeting. <laughs> that's not really the reason the DA doesn't gain that much, but they don't gain that much. Let's mm. say they get uh, up to 35% of the vote nationally. I hope so. Sure, so would I. Um, the problem with that is, let's say the other fifteen percent is mm. uh, goes to the EFF, okay, and the the ANC ends up getting fifty one. 
Okay. So I use that number because I've always said that the only reason Julius Malema started the EFF was as a long-term way. I think your phone's going. Um, as a long-term um, way to oh. to really get back into the. Yeah. It's important. No, it's, it's an al- <laughs> I don't know why I have an alarm for 10.42. Anyway, yeah. Um, so the, I've, you, I've always maintained that the only reason for the EFF is Julius's way back into the ANC. Okay? Um, mm. So I believe if mm. that were the situation, call it 15 to the EFF, 51 to the ANC, mm. um, it would be very worthwhile for the ANC to say to Julius, okay, you, you're deputy president. You come mm. back into the ANC. Mm. We'll spin the story. Uh, Jacob's not the president anymore, so therefore you found the ANC you always loved. And, mm. you know, we'll, we'll spin and it. And people will buy uh, it. And people will buy that. Mm. Um, and you become top top five of the NEC, mm. you become deputy president with a shoe in for becoming the president, the next president, of course. Um, and we get what we want, which is constitutional control. All right. Um, what then? What happens? Oh, I'll say, I'm, I'll move to a first world country. You're going to say Botswana. That's yes. great. Or <laughs> um. Namibia. Though Namibia, was, they, they, Namibia recently said, oh, Zimbabwe's land policy oh, was good. The, the president, the president is taking advice from the ZANU-PF. And right. I'm just... I, I really hope if Ramon does move to Botswana or Namibia, right, uh-huh. that some politician there doesn't tweet about these annoying economic refugees from <laughs> South Africa. <laughs> you, you know what the thing is? And, and the weird thing is this. And the weird, Helen Zilla does put her foot in her mouth. But the one thing I do love about her Mm. Is that she? She's good at what she does. I mean, if she's yeah. stuck to what she's good at, Helen Zill is excellent administratively. You can't deny that. She's world class. Well, she's also very transparent. So and the one is. thing you get from the fact mm. that she tweets like that is that she's she's, she's uber honest. transparent in everything she does, what she, she says, how she tweets, how she works. Here's my thing. I don't. I fundamentally don't have an issue with what she tweets because I'm not afraid of other people's ideas. Yeah. The problem is. We're in South Africa. Okay, so let's get back to my apocalypse. Yeah. Okay. So, back so to what? Your so what? So what? What then? I mean, do you think, given the control, the uh, ANC would uh, run roughshod over? They would basically change the constitution, run roughshod over property rights. Do you, Do you think they would do that? I, I think if they're absolutely backed into a corner, mm. th- I think they might. I'm not 100% sure they would. They might. Um, do you get any kind of, you know, we, when we deal with psych patients, we, mm. we have a thing called insight. And uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's no different to insight mm. in general, but it's insight into yourself. Mm. Um, I, I often wonder if, if ANC members, especially those higher up, have any sort of insight. So um, the psych example is you speak to a schizophrenic patient who tells you that they're Jesus. Mm. Um, and the more convinced they are that they're Jesus, mm. the less insight they have, right? Yeah. And as you start treating them, um, they start becoming aware that they aren't Jesus or they mm. might not be. And so their yeah. insight improves. Yeah. Um, and then eventually when they say, no, look, I've got a condition that makes me think I'm Jesus, but I'm yeah. not actually Jesus. That's, uh-huh. that's having. So I just wonder if people at the top have any insight into, okay, I am at the top of the ANC. It mm. means many things for me, some corrupt things maybe. So it means that my friends and my um, family get tenders, for example. Um, mm. It means that I live a good life. Mm. It means that I get him, you know, f- I, I resign from a company, then I get him, uh, I become an MP of the ANC, then I mm. go back to that company. Mm. You know, it means lots of good things for me. Mm. And if we were to completely destroy this economy, it would stop meaning those things for me. So that might be a stopgap that stops the ANC from plunging the country into complete disarray. Because I wonder, what was it that stopped uh, Jacob Zuma for making Brian Mulefi 
the finance minister. I, you know, I, I do wonder why is it that Malusi Gigaba, even though he has no real um, uh, financial view, financial policy, he has seemingly very little understanding. What what is it that stops? Um, Malusi Gigaba from doing utterly stupid things. He hasn't done anything utterly stupid yet. Mm. And he said things like, well, no, we aren't going to nationalize. He's, he's tried to calm investors. Now, yeah. I don't believe him. Okay. I think, Neither you know, if I. he gets a phone call on a Sunday night, mm. we'll have a press release at one o'clock in the morning, mm. which goes tomorrow, all mines belong to the government. You, you know, I, so that could still happen, but he's, He's saying stuff that's still keeping us afloat. So the reason mm. why we haven't crashed and burnt yeah. yet mm. is because there seems people are kind of going, all right, they're doing stupid things, but they haven't like opened Pandora's box yet. Mm. Um, do you think ANC members have enough insight to not completely kill the golden goose? Here, here's my view is that the ANC isn't monolithic. though. We mustn't see it as just one entity because – I think the ANC is what they call the broad church. So you'll have people who lean more towards the right. You have people like Mbeki. Mm. You have people in the tripartite alliance, because you can't see the ANC by itself, who lean very, very left. And obviously, being a broad church, it has those problems. You have all these multiple voices. And the good thing about that broad church is that I think that's one of the reasons why we haven't completely plunged because they do understand property rights. You remember that vote that they turned down with the EFF? Mm. The EFF said, we're going to offer it to you because they understand. They definitely understand. Some of their top people definitely understand that destroying property rights well, the, is a mistake. They, they've all, you know, some of their top people are very, very highly educated yes. people who could school Certainly me on, yes. on economics, for example. Yes, very true. So you have that sort of weird thing with the ANC. Unfortunately, also, I, I think with the ANC is that the ANC also has a very populist culture. One, um, I, the, the whole sort of intellectual culture with the tambos, etc. It's not really there now. It's not really there. There's no lifeblood. They're saying they're trying to renew. There's a lot of hubris in the ANC, this expectation that we deserve to win because we're the ANC, because of our history. That's their undoing. I said, I said to a lot of my ANC friends before the 2014 elections, I said to them, you're going to lose Nelson Mandela Bay, you're going to lose Chwane, you're going to lose Joburg, and it's all to do with your hubris. Even before the 2016 local elections, they were busy dabbing next to Aston Martins. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, that. you guys are tone deaf. You, you're not listening. You're not understanding because you think you have a right. This whole, we will rule until Jesus comes back. The problem with the ANC is not necessarily the people. It's the organizational culture is absolutely rotten. Yeah. And they're not willing to do the sort of radical cutting away that they need to do. If, they, if anything they need to do, that's radical. It's a radical cutting away of all that's rotten in the party. I mean, how do you elect like a deranged version of an Oros man to your youth leadership? <laughs> I mean, that guy is in. I can't understand that. Because I know some people who are on the ANC Youth League who I are think, incredibly smart. I think smart. that's very unfair to the Oros man. Yeah. I, like, I like the fact that the, the Youth League has always been an immense fuck-up. 
No, because uh, the, the, the yeah. best the best thing that happened in the youth league since '94 really mm. has been Julius Malema, and he's left. But oh. any and then Fikile, well, I mean Fikile, fuck, no one cares about him. But they have no leadership for the future, none, none whatsoever. They have none whatsoever. That's why they won't last. I I say this, and I I use football as a thing. Nottingham Forest used to be an amazing football club, used to win titles. They went down a division. They've never come back. They've just keep. They've just kept dropping. I think that's the ANC. If if the ANC loses, they're yeah. done for. Yeah, they won't they, come back. They they will not come back without with, without patronage, without the patronage system. They're gone. They they're done. Yeah. They're done. And they're rent seekers. And that's the difference between broadly a broad point. That's I think that's the fundamental difference between a lot of African and Asian leadership, is that. Asian leadership has more of an entrepreneurial bent to it, and a lot of African leadership is very like rent seeking. It's very much there. I'm not saying there's no patronage in Asia. However, massive amounts. Yeah. Yes. However, there's still an entrepreneurial bent. But there's not only patronage. Yes. Yeah. There's 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 some level of we're going to improve this situation. China's got lots of corruption, but they've still gotten like 300 million people out of poverty. Right. Do you know what I mean? Because, yeah. Because they went full communism after 1985, according to some people on this podcast <laughs> I last mean, week. I mean, their command economy is, it, it works because they can just ru- run roughshod over everything yeah. and make decisions. I mean, if you like human rights, that's not going to work. I mean, the EFF's policies, with the way that we've decided to set up the country with a constitution and media freedom and the separation of powers... It's like if you put a command economy and try and mix that with a command economy, it's trying to mix water and oil. Command economies all over the world rely on running roughshod over things to make decisions within your political economy. You can't do that with a setup like South Africa. You You either have to sacrifice the human rights, the freedoms, the media freedom, or you go that way with the China and... Your human rights are gone. It's a, it's the same thing I said this morning about feminists. Okay, this is opening a whole. Well, what new did thing. you say about feminists? What did you say about feminists? Okay, I started I started off with the whole thing of I don't understand feminists who say we're for women's rights, but you love command economies. Give me one command economy that advances women's rights on R- any substantive level. Rwanda. Rwanda. <laughs> I don't know if you can say that art like they got more MPs, female MPs than anywhere else in the world. Apparently, that's wonderful. That's all I know about Rwanda. Yeah, but I don't necessarily think that's. Necessarily I don't think Rwanda's a bastion of. I'm of just female. I'm just. I'm just trolling. You're such a troll. We don't even recognize your trolling anymore. That's how bad it is. Yeah, do, that's do how know, good it is. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like you, you yeah. can't. You can't do that. You I mean, if if uh, capitalism invented feminism, right? So yeah, so why are all these feminists fucking Marxists all of a sudden? It's the weirdest thing. They hate capitalism. I don't understand that. I, I personally don't understand. Neither that. do they. Because I because think. feminism has morphed into what you describe on the far left. Okay, it's a political ideology which can only achieve what it is now. Can mm. only achieve what it needs to achieve by running roughshod over the human rights of others. Mm. So the problem is, feminism was originally about equality. Mm. First wave, First, even second even wave. second wave. The third wave is the problem. It's the third wave that's yeah. the problem. What the third wave has become is it's gone well. In that first wave and part of that second wave, we were oppressed. What we really want is to become the oppressors. And so third wave feminism is about oppression. It's about being the oppressor. 
and 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 to be the oppressor you cannot support open freedom and free ideas things like capitalism you have to support things that will run roughshod over rights and that's everything on the left yeah, good point actually Good Thanks. point. But now, Cindy, we actually gone a bit over an hour, and I'm quite enjoying this. So mm. I don't intend to stop quite now. Mm. Oh, I need to leave soonish. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> it's, I'm going to be the limiting factor. My last point, though. Yeah. Your view on 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 the right wing in South Africa. I mean, I don't think there's really much to speak of. Yeah. But this fo- their focus on on farm murders. Yeah. Specifically. Yeah. Which is always a hot potato, and I don't yeah. know why. Mm. Because I think it is a problem. That, it is that a problem. Murders are being, I mean, farmers are being murdered and it is a problem. In, in horrific ways. It is a problem. It's very brutal. It's very sadistic. And my point was this. Um, farm murders are a problem. There's no way denying it. It's out there. Farmers are uniquely vulnerable. The, the, the issue is here in South Africa, again, it goes back to the identity politics. The issue of farmers has been hijacked by people who, who have this very much this outlook of white identity politics. It's white farmers. It's those blacks that are killing us. It's it's problematic because no politician worth their salt in South Africa is going to touch it. But it's a serious issue. Yeah. My big my my solution to it. My view is this. Um, after I visited, I actually had this idea after I visited Manenberg. You got people in gang neighborhoods who are uniquely vulnerable. You've got farmers who are uniquely vulnerable. Put something together where you have some sort of policy towards uniquely vulnerable people. Take the sting out of what people will say, oh, no, you're supporting white supremacy. Do that. Because for me, I, I just believe we need to be pragmatic about this. Right. Because it's No, it is. Because we need to be pragmatic about it because this is a moral issue. Yeah, it uh, is a it's a very deeply moral so issue. So I think the, one of the problems is is the you say farm murder, mm. and what happens in people's brains is they immediately start doing comparisons. So instead mm. of going, okay, hold on, you just said the word murder. Mm. I fundamentally think murder is bad. Yes. Okay. So therefore, is are farm murders a problem? By definition of murder is bad, farm murders are a problem. Yes. Okay, because they're bad. Yes. Um, just like, yes, a murder in Soweto would be bad. Oh, or Marikana. Okay? Or Marikana or in Santon. Okay. Yes. All those would be bad. Okay. Yes. And the, the problem is, is what people do is instead of going, okay, I think farm murders are bad. Mm. Should we do something about it? Obviously, it's something bad. Yes. What they do is they, they jump that step mm. and they go, okay, farm murders, uh, yes, farm murders. Um, but also, but also, you see yeah. what's about to read. Yeah. Um, there's murders here and there's murders there and other people. Mm. Um, and look, it doesn't help. I don't, I don't, look, I don't think Steve helps in, in, in his pushing the, the white side of the farm murders. Well, the, the white genocide argument yeah. is not helpful. I, I don't, I don't which, think it helps. Which we told him um, at the time um, when he was on. But, but uh, look, what you've said is, is a, is a great idea. Take areas where minorities are under threat. And yeah. design something that works for all of them, and then you're doing it for people of all races. Yes, because ultimately we can say murders are bad in Santon, but people in Santon are not uniquely vulnerable like farmers. Yeah, people in Santon are not going in there and and there's specific brutality. Mm. There's also a second argument, and which is why I'm tetchy. People don't understand why I'm tetchy on some of the rhetoric outside of Julius because of what's happened in Zimbabwe with farmers. It could easily morph into something very specifically racial, a specific hate crime. Yeah. It's not there, 
but it could morph into that. And that's a problem because this, this, this issue is ultimately about people of good conscience because you have to have a good conscience. They are uniquely vulnerable people who they're not just getting murdered. They're getting tortured, raped. I mean, the brutality of it, my goodness. And so we have to care about that. And so when we start muddying the water with all these identity politics, we are essentially delaying some kind of justice and protection for people who need it. I mean, I had this conversation with a guy, with a white guy who's a farmer. He's like, oh, oh, because I've put out that idea about Mm. uniquely vulnerable persons. And he was like, oh, why do I need to care about those people? I care about my own people. I'm like, because you care about your own people. That's the way you're going to push it through. (laughs) I mean, sometimes it just, I, I don't know, stupidity in the world sometimes just, People, people get caught up in their own yeah. uh, problems because it's difficult. Once yeah. you're in that, it's yeah. difficult to remove yourself and be objective. Yes, and and we need which to is be, understandable. We need to be objective about this because it is a serious issue. Mm. We need to stop treating it like it's it's some sort of like light thing. People need yeah. protection. Farmers in this country, whether it does, and people always bring this argument about oh, farmers, some farmers are racist. That is neither here nor there. Morally. Legally speaking, they are citizens of this country deserving of protection of their rights and their persons. Mm. It's not complicated. It doesn't matter if they're white. It doesn't matter what color they are. Mm. They are the citizens of this country. Full stop. I mean, yeah. I mean, to end off, what I like about you, and I've known you for about an hour and a half, is that <laughs> the, the principles you have are generally applicable. Yeah. You're not looking for relativism. You're not saying farmers should... Uh, this should be done to farmers, but it shouldn't be done to mm. these other people. You're not saying when you talk about black um, upward mobility, mm. it's principles that apply to everyone. Yes, I mean it's it's common sense, and I agree with you practically all the way until you said taxation is not theft for some reason. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah. it, it's your your principles are generally applicable, which which mm. is which is so helpful in a country where race defines everything, yeah. and principles are somehow racially defined as well. Mm. It's, uh, it's, it's not helpful in that way. So, I mean, to end off, um, are we the Breitbart racist that your, uh, friends described us? Oh, definitely. Did we get not. described in such, such, dude, he described such us. dude hmm. you we? guys are white conservative Breitbart racists. Don't you know what the left media is saying about you, Jonathan? <laughs> uh, no, I must have missed you it. Dr- you dreadful, dreadful ogre, Jonathan. Oh, that's, Don't that's, you know? that's uh, well, uh, well, so Ramon's the troll under the bridge and I'll be the ogre. Apparently, uh, you haven't seen such a well dressed troll, though. <laughs> Look at this. Like <laughs> mauve jacket. It's the French coming out. That style. All right. So, Sindile, um, yeah. do you want to be found on social media? Just find me on Facebook. I don't do Twitter. 140 characters is too little. Yeah. All you can right. find me on Facebook. I just, I just, I just rant whatever. In, in the middle of my day, if I'm doing something, if I'm at a shopping mall, I find some inspiration. Yeah. And, I just and, hop on. And to listeners, just mute him when it's like soccer time. Yeah. There's like there's like five Facebook posts in an hour about, oh what a great goal and I oh, know this is a huge problem in mm. Liverpool. Oh. I'm like what the fuck are you on about? But then, other than that, <laughs> I approve. Liverpool fan. Liverpool uh, all day long. You never walk alone. Awesome, oh, awesome. Should, we should, oh, fucking hell, I should have known this before. Sorry, just cutting Ramon off. Ramon's gone. <laughs> 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 right. Um, as yeah. you know, uh, you, thanks so much for coming. Yeah. Uh, that yeah, is yeah. Sindile Vabaza. You mm. can find him on Facebook, as he says. Uh, you can find us on Facebook too. 
Uh, it's Renegade Report's uh, page or Renegade Report group where we have some really good discussions. Um, also on Twitter, at Renegade underscore report. Ramon is at Roman Kabanek, and I'm at Jonathan underscore Witt. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Cheers. Central.com.